Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast, where we're talking with newsmakers and thought leaders from across the country. And today we have Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. We're going to start off with just what American Commitment is. What do they do? It's AmericanCommitment.org. That's the website. It's also linked in the show notes for today's podcast, where you can find out more about what we're doing here and at Family Vision Media. Right now, I'd like to welcome Phil into the program. Phil, thank you for coming on today. Great to hear your voice. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I love it so much because you're going to bring us all of the truth surrounding the drug price controls. But as president of American Commitment, website AmericanCommitment.org, what do you do? What is your organization about? Well, we're a national free market advocacy group. What we uh, typically do uh, is sort of taxes, spending, healthcare, energy, tech policy. Uh, although for the last two years, it's as much COVID as anything else, as you can imagine, since it's been used as a pretext for shutting everything down. Uh, but what we do that's different from a lot of the other Washington organizations is we really do very little, if any, original research. The, the focus is not on producing original research. The focus is on choosing the fights that are on the margin, that really could go in either direction, and getting people the facts and information they need to be more active, engaged citizens and try to tip some of these fights in a more free market direction. And so we do a lot of letter writing campaigns into Congress or into regulatory agencies, and we try to dial up kind of the, the heat from back home to, to win some of these economic fights over, you know, the size and intrusiveness of government. And if people are interested in what we're going to talk about or any of the other issues we're working on, everything is on our website, AmericanCommitment.org. Perfect. So that is that lays the, the ground for us. We know that you're into action-oriented um, directives to people out in the world who really want to make some change. And an area that and I feel like it impacts all of us because everyone, you know, like it or not, we're a nation of people who were, we're medicated. We're heavily medicated. <laughs> Some of us heavily medicated in the slightest possible way. And other people are really battling um, autoimmune diseases and illnesses. And so it requires us to head into our general practitioner or our, our internist or, you know, our primary care physician. And they give us prescriptions for drugs. And when we go to get those prescriptions filled, you know, we have everything on the spectrum from wealthy people for whom price is no issue, people who have Cadillac health insurance plans through their employers where, you know, once you reach your $500 deductible, you don't pay another penny for the rest of the year, all the way down to people who are literally relying on prescription uh, drug discount cards to help offset the cost of very expensive medications that they can't live without. And so, We've heard a lot of noise from the Biden administration about negotiating the price of drugs. And it was also discussion during the Trump administration. He, he wanted to do something similar. But there's a huge difference in the way the two administrations would approach this. Can you kind of lay it out for us and help us understand what's at stake here? Yeah, the, uh, the provisions in the Biden Build Back Better bill on prescription drugs get referred to as negotiation because that's a very popular word. If you ask people, hey, should the government negotiate prescription drugs, like 90% of people say yes, everyone's for that. Uh, but the way this is actually written, it's not really a negotiation, it's a price control. The government is essentially setting the price because the way the quote-unquote negotiation works is the government tells the manufacturer, this is what we think the price should be. And if the manufacturer says no, if the manufacturer disagrees and does not accept that price, 
they get taxed 95% of their total sales of that product, which is essentially confiscation, not of profits, of total sales of that product. And, you know, for that reason, the official budget score from the CBO and the Joint Committee on Taxation is that this tax raises zero dollars because no company could ever actually say no to the government price. And so it's not a negotiation. It's a government price control. And Stacey, of course, the problem when you have government setting prices is, and we learned this very vividly in the 1970s, when government sets prices, you get shortages. If they set a below market price, uh, then you, you do not have the ability of supply and demand to clear at a market price. And so you get a shortage. Now, the difference between a normal price control driven shortage and something like, say, gasoline, where you go and you get gas lines and they're visible and everyone can see them is, when you have a shortage uh, that's created by prescription drug price controls, the shortage is not of the drugs that already exist because the marginal cost of producing one more pill, one more injection is very low. It's you know pennies or a dollar or whatever it is. Uh, the shortage you get is of new drugs because it costs $2.5 billion with a B to develop a new drug and bring it to market. And if you're looking and seeing that at the end of that process, if you're one of the drugs that's selected for this process, and this bill only does it for 10 drugs, but I'm sure they'd want to expand it over time, uh, now you can't necessarily get your money back and get a return on capital for your investors. And so there was a study that just came out from the University of Chicago. Uh, Professor Thomas Phillipson looked at the impact of this bill on research and development and new drug development, and they used a pretty long time horizon. They looked through the year 2039. So they looked at an 18-year time horizon. They found that uh, this bill would reduce private sector investment in developing new drugs by $660 billion dollars and it would mean 135 fewer new drugs. So 135 drugs that would be developed over the next 18 years otherwise would not be if this price control were put in. And that has a massive impact. It's almost uh, it, it's over 300 million years of life that would be lost. Uh, is what they estimate. And of course, you know, these are models. Who knows? I mean, the thing is, you never really know what you're missing out on if you disrupt a market and then things don't get developed that otherwise would have been. So this is the, the big the big deal with, with the Democrats is they make changes to things and the impacts are felt, but the quantifiable link between the policy or the change made by the Democrats and the actual result it remains nebulous in many cases like this one. I understand what you just shared, but since we're not going to have you on CNN saying that and not, you know, obviously not having your signal mysteriously drop and you're suddenly cut off or something like that, you won't be on MSNBC, you won't be on the nightly news or the Today Show. This is something that Americans need to know. But instead, they're being sold a bill of goods. Oh, if you would just let, you know, the build back better or, you know, allow the Democrats to have their way with these prescription drugs, it will be better. But it won't. Well, I mean, I think most people just need to use common sense. If they're pulling over $200 billion out of Medicare prescription drug spending, there's just no way seniors are going to continue to have the best new drugs and the best cutting. You're, you're, you can't drain that much money out of Medicare prescription drug spending to pay for new welfare programs and all the other stuff in the bill and act like somehow seniors are going to be better off for that rather than worse off. And I think that common sense test more than anything, more than, you know, models from university professors, I think that common sense test is what's going to be the real political problem for Democrats who vote for this, because their opponents are just going to say, you know, you voted to drain whatever the final number ends up being out of Medicare prescription drug spending to pay for new welfare programs. And I just I think that's going to be a very effective attack uh, on the campaign trail.
Will they make it, though? Will, will the Republicans make that attack? I think so. I hope so. I mean, it's a tricky thing. The other possibility, you know, the thing is, Stacey, I, you know, we assume that they're going to set the prices way below market and it's going to have this uh, negative effect on R&D. But, you know, when government sets prices, when you don't have functioning markets, they could actually make the opposite error. They could pay too much. They could get corrupted by lobbyists from the pharmaceutical companies and end up, you know, charging even more than a market price. When you don't have functioning markets, when you don't have willing buyer meeting willing seller, uh, the only thing you know for sure is you're not going to get the right price. You're not going to get a meaningful uh, market price. And I, I, I just think we, we need to point out how bad government is at this and that uh, you know it's not like they're these keen negotiators who are better at purchasing than the private plans are. They're either going to use the power of government to suppress prices and have negative effects, or they're going to uh, you know, get captured by lobbyists and special interests and, and pay more than ever. But nothing good comes out of replacing a market process uh, with with a government process. And, you know, if we can't explain that, I think we have a real problem. And frankly, you know, I think that if there isn't enormous pushback and blowback on Democrats trying to use price controls to contain the cost of prescription drugs, it's not going to be limited to drugs for very long because we've got massive inflation economy-wide right now. Nothing in the Democrats' agenda can address that problem because everything they want to do makes inflation worse rather than better, restricting American energy, uh, spending money we don't have that's financed through Federal Reserve money creation, and taxes on business that are going to be passed on in higher prices. Every element of their agenda makes inflation worse. So if they can get away with having government just set price controls for drugs and there's no big backlash, I think it's unfortunately a pretty short step from there to economy-wide price controls as a way to just arbitrarily you know, suppress inflation and get through an election cycle. And we've seen it before. Uh, that's how Nixon got reelected. And so as crazy and destructive economically as price controls are, uh, if you can get away with them politically, they have a lot of appeal. But they're not long-term solutions. No, I mean, they're long-term disasters because every time government imposes a price control, you now get uh, a market distortion. You're now going to have supply shortages because you're not allowing prices to rise to the level where you're going to have sufficient supply. And, you know, we should have learned that lesson the last time it was tried in the 70s, and yet here we are, and you got an entire political party that's trying to do it for a pretty significant sector of the economy with prescription drugs. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually, they really want to make it happen with prescription drugs, but you're right. They're the the uh, the angst that the uh, Democrats are experiencing over inflation and, and their inability to kind of control it. It does point to, you know, if they're able to successfully get through and, and impose uh, price controls on drugs, then you're right. They would say, okay, well, wh- wh- where else can we get this done? How else can we make this happen? It- it's a frightening proposition because businesses have already been harmed so much by the policy of the Biden administration. Yeah, no question. Uh, it's a very tough time for business, uh, especially with the labor shortage that's affecting so many businesses. And, uh, you know, I think the, you know, one one of the one of the many many problems with price controls is they end up being set at sort of the price structure of the largest companies who have the most influence, and uh, you know they they often end up supporting them. We see this going back all the way to the 30s when we had the first effort at imposing price controls. It's the smaller competitors who rely on price as the way they can undercut the big guys. They're the ones who really get hammered by it, and so you can't just assume, oh, you know, big business will stop it. And they might not. They might support it. Well, yeah, because big business is actually 
um, they, they have a vested interest in anything that's going to assist them with doing what they do best. So if it hurts small business but benefits them, the bottom line is going to come first, right? So we've seen that at, during COVID when Walmarts and, and uh, you know Home Depot and those companies should have said, if we can be open, then so can the small businesses in the same way that we're able to be open for uh, – you know, however many square feet we have, you're social distancing so this many people can be in the building. Why can't small businesses do that? But we saw a, a line drawn right down the middle of the economy. Big businesses had the open sign, and on the other side, the small businesses had the closed sign. So your your uh, your statement has been supported, actually visually for us to see for the past almost two years. Yeah, no question about that. And you know, and and then of course, you know, the biggest of the big businesses at all, the monster tech titans, Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Google, you know, they, they doubled in market capitalization during COVID. They went from trillion-dollar companies to $2 trillion companies, which, by the way, is why every time there's an alarmist COVID story, they pump it out to every iPhone and make sure that everyone sees it because they've been, they've been the biggest winners uh, of all of this with people just, you know, sitting on their devices, sitting at home, ordering everything and you know, getting things sent to them and all that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, you can't assume that kind of big businesses are going to be defenders of free markets. I mean, to the extent they ever were, which is always a little bit limited, I think that's really fallen by the wayside over the last couple of years. And uh, sort of as conservatives, we need to kind of like step up and defend the free market because most big companies have sort of given up on the free market and they just want to kind of figure out how to get their piece of the pie through, you know, regulatory and legislative influence. So what's the solution here? I mean, obviously, Republicans need to campaign on this, but for any person who's listening who's thinking, well, what can I do to impact this? You know, you feel a little, maybe a little powerless. What can uh, regular everyday Americans do to impact this? Well, you know, I think this is part of the Build Back Better bill with, along with, you know, another, you know, hundred crazy left-wing ideas. And that bill is very much in flux and in doubt right now. Um, nobody really knows what Joe Manchin's going to do or Kirsten Cinema. And, you know, it looks like all the Republican senators are in a pretty good place. I'm not, I don't think there's any chance any of them are going to vote for it. But it's really about getting as much pressure as possible on, you know, Manchin and Cinema and Tester and Warnock and Kelly. And you, you know kind of the list of senators who might be in doubt. And, you know, it's a tricky thing. If you don't live in, if you live in one of the states with one of those senators, you should be like writing and calling every day and putting as much pressure as you can in one day call about the government taking over nursery schools and one day call about this drug provision. You know, make a whole schedule and just keep hammering them because there are about two dozen things you could hammer them with. If you're not in one of those states, and I think this is important, nobody cares what someone who's not their constituent thinks. And so you're wasting your time contacting them. What you need to do is sit down and brainstorm, who do I know who's in one of these states? And then you got to ask them to send a letter or to make a call. And so it, it becomes a bank shot if you're not in one of the states where one of the uh, the senators is in doubt. But, you know, the other thing that everyone can do is, you know, just, just spread facts, spread information, be, be you know, speak up, uh, you know, on social media and in real life and just sort of, you know, make clear that, you know, you, you have some knowledge about what's in this bill and the many things that are wrong with it that don't necessarily get spotlighted or get uh, talked about. And the other action item that I can recommend, which is an easy one, is if you go to AmericanCommitment.org, we've got a, uh, a project that's featured on there called Commitment to Seniors. And actually, you can just type in CommitmentToSeniors.org directly. And we're really trying to uh, and this is something everyone should write to their members about, and we have a model letter for this, but we're really trying to point out that AARP um, gets most of their money from their corporate partnership with United Health. 
And they have been the most vociferous supporters of these price control provisions, which I find outrageous because seniors would be gravely harmed if new drugs were not developed. Uh, but they do it because their corporate partners stand to make a windfall. That is, it's good business for the. So we're just trying to remind elected officials when you see something from AARP, understand they're speaking for the health insurance industry, and that's fine, but you need to take that into account. And so we are asking for people to write letters uh, to that effect on commitment to seniors.org. And I'm sort of rambling. So there are, those are a few things that, that people can do. Yeah, no, that's, this is the rambling we need, Phil. <laughs> it's rambling with purpose and we need it because people ask me this, they email me. And on top of the emails, there's just an overall feeling of kind of like, well, I mean, if the Biden administration is planning on doing it, look at the way they rammed through the the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. Those were their voters that they, you know, literally uh, wrote out of jobs. They just signed a piece of paper and eliminated thousands of jobs. So people are are interested in and for anyone who knows, such as yourself, an expert in this arena, you know, we we have to kind of take our time with you as we can get it precious as it is. And and if you're rambling, you know, ramble on. So if, if, if people are listening to that and they're saying, okay, you know, I already know about the AARP, but that's kind of a, a best kept secret about how the AARP is just another tentacle of the Democrats and they really serve themselves and any political party that donates to them heavily, which is again, the Democrats. What's the alternative for people who you're a member of the AARP and up until today, you thought that was cool. What should they do about that being a part of the AARP? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it depends why they're there. If they're just there for insurance discounts and that kind of thing, then, you know, I would say, do some more research because they take 5% off the top of all those products they sell. So you can usually find it cheaper somewhere else. If you're there because you think they represent seniors, uh, I would say find a different group. And there are a number that I know of that I like, uh, 60 plus association, AMAC. Uh, they're, they're just a number of uh, conservative seniors groups that are going to represent you a lot better. And I would urge people to, uh, to look into those uh, AARP to your point is very close with liberal democratic politicians, but they also, Make they made over a billion dollars in the past year from their corporate partnerships, most of it from United Health. They make much more money from their corporate partners than they do from their members, and so that's who they really represent. And you got to keep that in mind. Well, I think that's more than enough in the area of marching orders. People will be very busy calling their senators, making sure that they let them know that they oppose the Build Back Better bill and the agenda, and then of course reassessing memberships. It's always a good time to take at the end of the year to kind of take a look at that and make a choice. Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. The website is AmericanCommitment.org. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. All right. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for coming on. And that's another podcast for the books. Lots of homework for you to get into. Thanks for joining us. Find out more at FamilyVisionMedia.org and StacyOnTheRight.com. See you next time.